Good morning. Uh, my name is Wes, one of the pastors here. Excited to be with you and share God's Word with you this morning. Um, one of the things we provide as well on that back table, if English is not your first language and it's helpful for you, we also have a sermon manuscript that you can follow along with. I do actually follow to that fairly closely. I'll give you a bit of an idea of what I'm saying as I talk kind of fast and uh, allow you to help follow along if that's helpful for you. Uh, we're going to do what we do each Sunday. We'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, Bible app, um, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. If you want to turn to our passage that we're looking at today, which is at the very beginning of the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1. And when you found that, if you would stand together with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Psalms right in the middle of the Bible. If you literally open the Bible in the middle, you should find it. Psalm number one. David writes this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree Planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this passage together. Spirit of God, we just ask that you would come now and illumine the preaching of your word. Uh, break down every barrier that could exist uh, in our hearts, in our minds, uh, that would block out, that would restrict what it is that you want to speak to us today. Give us just an openness to receive whatever you want to bring to us, and I pray that as you promised in your word, it would accomplish the purpose in each one of us today for which you sent it. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, I know you've already been singing a lot, but I'm going to just invite you if, you, if you know this, sing along with this first line of this song with me if you know it. Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high. There's a land that I heard of once in a lullaby. Do you know this? From? Thank you. Wizard of Oz. Uh, I don't know if it's just like we even just hear the words of that song or we hear the tune and immediately we're kind of transported, if you've ever seen that film, transported back into this classic tale of Dorothy and her adventures in the land of Oz uh, and the many remakes that have happened since then. But I, as I thought about that story once again this past week, something that stood out to me that I don't think I've ever considered before was the vast, seemingly insurmountable power differences between Dorothy and her friends and all the people that they come up against with. I mean, it really feels unfair. On the one hand, you've got like the great and powerful Wizard of Oz. You've got Wicked Witch of the West. I mean, these are strong characters, right? And then on the other hand, you've got a teenage girl in red pumps, which, I mean, I don't wear those shoes, but I'm assuming they're not great for either fighting or running away. Uh, a tin man who's so rusted out he can barely walk. Brainless scarecrow. And then the lion, who is supposed to be the power player, 
in the thing, but the guy's so cowardly, like butterflies scare him. It's just, you, you hold up these two teams beside each other, and it doesn't even feel like a fair fight. And yet, you read on or you watch on in the story, and what you come to see by the end of the story is that, actually, it's the ones that look like the strongest who end up being the weakest ones, actually, right? Wicked witch, she's destroyed by nothing more than a bucket of water. Uh, pull back the curtain, great and powerful Oz is just an old guy with a sound system, puppeteering skills. Uh, and, and then the characters that looked like the weakest, looked like the ones who were hopelessly outmatched, ended up being the strongest ones, the bravest ones, the ones who actually had the most heart after all. And I was thinking about that as I reflected on this psalm of David's that we're looking at today and the importance of God's word, or what David refers to as the law of the Lord, in our formation in particular. Because when you look around at the world today, just like Dorothy and her friends on the yellow bricked roads of Oz, it can look, it can seem like the way of the wicked, or sometimes referred to as the way of the world, it looks like the superior fighter. It looks like not only the stronger fighter, it looks like the better way, the way that leads to enjoyment in life, stability in life, by far looks just like the stronger player, whereas submitting yourself to the instruction of God's word, what David calls walking in the way of the righteous, seems like the weakest, seems like the most cowardly way, maybe even, if we're honest, seems like the most brainless way to follow. And yet, as you read on, what you see, and his incredible gift of this passage today, actually, David, as God's servant, or through David, it's basically like God is pulling back the curtain, not, not on the Wizard of Oz, but on reality itself. And what he's showing us here is that the side that seems like the strongest way, that seems like the most fulfilling way, is actually the way that leads to destruction. And the way that the side that seems like the weakest, seems like the most foolish way many times, is actually the strongest. And the one that leads to the kind of fullness and stability of life that the world can only promise. So we're continuing in this teaching series we began last Sunday on spiritual formation called In Formation, which again, if you weren't here last week or you're not familiar with that terminology, spiritual formation just basically means the way that we as followers of Jesus work to try to look more and more like Him over the course of our lives. That's all it is. Now, if you've been a part of our gatherings here for any length of time, you know that I almost never say this, but I'm saying it today. If you weren't here last Sunday, I am encouraging you strongly. Go back this week, go back later today, and watch last Sunday's message. Listen to it, whatever it is, because what I worked really hard to try to do there was lay the foundation for everything we're going to be looking at each week following that message, right? To kind of lay down a foundation for that, lay down a a foundation and an understanding of why spiritual formation is such an important thing for every follower of Jesus, as well as how that formation, generally speaking, takes place in our lives. And I say that not because I need you to validate my efforts, like, I worked hard, why wouldn't you watch it? I'm saying that because without that understanding of why your spiritual formation is so vital, how, how our spiritual formation, as I said last week, is actually a work of counterformation for those who have already been formed by the world around us. You, if you don't have that understanding in place, you're going to miss a lot of what we talk about here. You won't, you won't get the great value 
and importance each week of these spiritual disciplines that we're going to be looking at, which, as I said, these spiritual disciplines are how our spiritual formation. They are how what Paul calls taking off the old self and putting on the new self takes place. It's how we do it. For just as any relationship, any pursuit of any goal in our life requires some ongoing effort, requires ongoing discipline in order to achieve it, so too does our spiritual formation. Right? As we said, it doesn't just happen. It requires our effort as well. And so today, the very first discipline that we're going to be looking at together, and which is actually the discipline out of which all the other disciplines are formed, is the study of God's Word. That's the discipline we're looking at today, the study of God's Word. And the reason this is such a foundational discipline is because there's no other place than in God's Word whereby we can know what God is like. We can see what He's like as well as what He's done for us. Yes, creation reveals all kinds of cool things about God as well. We read about that in places like Psalm 19, Romans 1. They all agree, yes. But it's only in His Word. It's only in God's self-revelation of Himself that we get the clearest picture of who God is. Which, if you think about it, that's pretty essential knowledge. If the goal in spiritual formation is to look more and more like Him, we, we should know the goal that we're trying to find, right? Not the goal that we make up in our mind. It's the one that He sets of Himself. And so all I want to do in our time together this morning is look at just two things. We're going to spend some time looking at the content of Psalm 1 in general, which I believe helps us to see the why of study or the goal of study. Like, like, what do we achieve by studying God's Word? And then we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking this spiritual discipline in particular. What David calls there in verse 2, meditating on and delighting in God's Word, which is going to point us to the how of study. Like, how do we do this? Okay, so just those two things, the why and the how of study. So if you closed your Bible, your Bible app or whatever, could you open it again with me to that passage? Psalm 1, follow along with me as we unpack this foundational discipline together and seek to gain a clearer picture for the goal for which all of the spiritual disciplines are ultimately aiming, namely that we would look and live lives that are formed more and more like the one who saved us. Okay, so let's look first of all at the why of study. Why do we bother studying God's Word as followers of Jesus? So if you look back at our passage... We see that what David is doing throughout this whole psalm is he's really contrasting two different approaches to life. On the one hand, he's calling there, he kind of summarizes these two ways in verse 6, talking about the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And just kind of right off the bat, if that language of like righteous and wicked is like throws you off, it's bringing up images of like super righteous, pompous looking people on the one hand and axe murderers on the other, let me help you out. Because that's not, that's not what David means. What he's ultimately doing is trying to, with these two groups, he's representing those who live their lives in reference and submission to God and his word and those who do not. That's really all he's doing with these two categories. Okay, So don't, don't get lost in that. Secondly, uh, as it refers to this way, uh, Robert Alter, a Hebrew scholar, informs us that when it talks about the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, a way, he says, is a traditional Hebrew metaphor for pursuing a set of moral choices. Okay, so that's what we have, this way of the wicked, way of the righteous. Now, Psalm 1 is interesting for a number of reasons, because if you've ever read the Psalms before, what you know is that the majority of them are actually prayers. 
uh, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise, prayers of lament, repentance, crying out for justice, all kinds of different prayers. And yet, what's unique about Psalm 1 is that it's one of the few wisdom psalms in the collection. So it actually functions more like a proverb that is instructing the one who would receive God's blessing as opposed to praising God for blessings that have already been received. So, uh, it's, it's this proverb-like psalm, and it's placed right at the beginning of the whole collection of books, which almost every commentator I read agreed is actually a really intentional choice. There's a good reason for that, because it's as though Psalm 1 is meant to function as the grid through which we read the other 149 psalms. As Derek Kidner writes in his excellent commentary on the psalms, he says, it seems likely that this psalm was specially composed as an introduction to the whole Psalter. Certainly it stands as a faithful doorkeeper, confronting those who would be in the assembly of the righteous with the basic choice that alone gives reality to worship, with the divine truth that must inform it, and with the ultimate judgment that looms up beyond it. But as I said earlier, I believe alongside with providing this grid through which we are to read the rest of the Psalms, one of the goals of Psalm 1 is also to pull back the curtain on reality, right? Pull back the curtain, help us to see this way that David says is truly best, blessed by God, despite appearances to the contrary. This is the way that he's showing us that is truly blessed by God. So look back at verse 1 with me, if you have it open. See, David begins his description of this way that is truly blessed by God, describing not what the one who is blessed by God does, but what they don't do, which is what theologians refer to as apophatic theology. You want a $10 word to impress your friends at parties. Apophatic just means describing something not by what it is, by what it is not. He's describing what we don't do to tell us what we should do. And there's a lot we could say about this description alone, but what commentators agreed is that what David is basically doing here with the use of these three verbs, walk, stand, and then sit, is a gradual deepening, a gradual solidifying in this way that seems to lead to life, but eventually leads to destruction. What Kidner again calls three different degrees of departure from God by portraying conformity to this world at three different levels. First of all, accepting its advice, then being party to its ways, and finally adopting the most fatal of its attitudes, as mockers are the farthest from repentance. So it's this gradual solidifying in this way of the wicked. Now, as you see in verse 2, look here, David goes on to describe what the one who walks in the way that God blesses does do, what they should do. Namely, they delight in the law of the Lord. They meditate on his law day and night, a description that we're going to look at in more detail in a minute when we talk about the how of study. How do we do it? But as you keep on reading in the remaining verses of the psalm, what David does is now to powerfully contrast the final results of these ways, like where they lead to. In verse 3, describing those who follow the way of the righteous, those who delight themselves in God's word, meditate on it day and night. He says they're like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. All that they do prospers, whereas those who don't do this, in verse 4 he describes as those who are like chaff that the wind drives away which I know aren't completely like really relatable Western 21st century word pictures for a lot of us in general, uh, not to mention the fact that we live in Vancouver, a city where lots of the year we're surrounded by lush 
greenery everywhere. Not to mention, I, I mean, I don't think I know anybody here who's involved in farming in some way that involves threshing of any kind, where you would, this process where they would remove the outer husks on wheat kernels by throwing them in the air and this chaff would fly away. I mean, we don't really have these ideas in our mind. But if you can imagine, think about where David is writing this from in this dry, semi-desert conditions in the Middle East where David lives as he's writing this. It's easy to understand this strong, fruitful, deeply rooted picture of health David is describing when he describes a tree that is planted, in the Hebrew it's actually transplanted by streams of water, compared to this dry, weightless, worthless picture of chaff that's blown away by nothing more than a puff of wind. He's really powerfully contrasting the two results of these different ways. And actually all throughout Scripture, again, being pretty much all written in this same kind of climate, direct access to water is constantly used as one of the main metaphors and pictures for life-giving sustenance. It's how you survive by having access to water constantly. It's the environment in which health and growth and fruitfulness can actually occur. And it's also undoubtedly what Jesus himself meant in reference to spiritual health. Places like John 4, John 8, when he's talked about the water that he would give being like a stream of water that would flow up from within us. It's this picture of constant sustenance and supply to those who walk in this way of the righteous. And when you think about what this means for your life and for mine today, I I don't know anybody, like nobody who would read this description of health and stability and fruitfulness. Hear me, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, would hear that description and be like, nah, yeah, no thanks, I'm I'm good. I don't need that in my life, right? I mean, rootedness, stability in life that can withstand the winds and storms of life that every single one of us faces. It's what all of us are looking for. That's what we're looking for in life. The only difference at the end of the day is where it is you're looking to find that rootedness and stability in your life. Where does it come from? And as I said when we began, we're called to walk, stand, and eventually sit in this way, every single day, by the world and by friends and family, social media, by our advertising, that seems like the best way to find that rootedness and stability. It's presented to us every single day. And as I said, I think it's, it's also, it seems like the best way because, as I said last week, it's the worldview that every one of us has already been formed into. We've grown up with this. It's the air we breathe. We're told this is the way that you get that. This is where you find rootedness and stability. But what God, through his servant David, is trying to reveal to you and to me in this psalm here, really highlighting that desperate need for the work of counterformation in every single one of us that we're going to be learning about over the coming weeks, is that the exact opposite is true. That the way of submission to, as well as delighting ourselves in God's word, that's the course where you can actually find that rootedness and stability in your life. That God alone is the source of life-giving water that can not only sustain you, but can also enable you to thrive and be fruitful in life, no matter how hard the wind blows, no matter how dry it gets. Because that's the thing, right? Wind and storms, that's, that's just a given for all of us, right? That, that comes to every single one of us. Nobody escapes that. And therefore, what we need most of all at the end of the day is not the promise alone of strength and stability, but the reality of it. 
What's going to actually sustain us in those times that we all experience? And all David is revealing for us here is that the true source of that reality, it, it isn't found where we've been told and where we've been trained to look for it. It's found somewhere else. And he's saying, it's in this book right here and, and, and who this book is pointing us to. Okay, so that's, that's the why of study. That's, that's why we need to study. He's, he's showing us the ultimate end of why this matters so much. It's why the study of God's word is essential for us being formed, really reformed in the image of the one who saved us. So that, as David says here, we can truly experience that stability and rootedness and greater freedom in our lives that the world can only promise. Last thing I want to look at together with you is the how of study. How is it that we actually do what David is talking about there in verse 2? Look, delighting ourselves in God's word, meditating on it day and night, as he says, leads to this way of life that's both, it's, it's both blessed by God and, he says, provides the rootedness and stability in life that we're all seeking to find. How do we do it? Or to kind of put it in the language of our series, how do we practice this spiritual discipline of the study of God's word? How do we do it? And the answer to that question can be broken down into three simple steps. Reading, study and meditation, application. Those three steps, that's how you do it. Let's all go home. No, I'll take a second and, and just kind of unpack each of those a little bit just to help you understand what we're talking about. So first of all, reading the Word. Reading the Word, which maybe seems like the most obvious, self-evident of all three of those steps. Maybe you're even wondering, like, why is that even included on the list? Uh, as I guess that most of us, if not all of us, would want to say, like, uh, I think it's pretty obvious um, that... Followers of Jesus are supposed to read the Bible, isn't it? To which I would say, yes, <laughs> right, absolutely. That is absolutely what every follower of Jesus should be doing. How's that going? How's that going in, in, in your everyday life? How's that working out? Right, Because it's one thing to, to know what we should be reading. We should be reading the Bible as followers of Jesus. It's another thing to actually make it your daily disciplined habit of something you actually do. And while I know, listen, some of you already know, this is your regular daily intake of God's Word. It is part of your weekly rhythm. I know it is. For others, for some of us, it's like we've compartmentalized the study of God's Word to be like a Sunday morning exercise exclusively. That's something that happens at church. So you faithfully open God's Word when I ask you to follow along with me, and then at the end of the sermon, the Bible closes, and then it doesn't open again until the next Sunday when I ask you to open God's Word and you open it again. And that's, and that's how you take in God's Word. I trust it's not going to surprise anyone. It won't, anyone won't be surprised to hear that's about as effective for your spiritual health as eating a, a big breakfast on Sunday morning and then not eating again for the rest of the week is for your physical health and vitality. It's not going to go well. You're not going to have the energy and life to accomplish everything you want to do if that's how you're eating. And listen, I get it. For some of us, this book, it's overwhelming. There's a lot of pages there. A lot of us don't read big books like that. Um, and so we just come to it and we're like, man, I don't even know where to start. Okay, great. Uh, we have provided right at the back, right by the water. I didn't do that intentionally, but it's super awesome that that happened. Right by the water, we've got two different Bible reading plans that you could start today. 
One is going to take you through the Bible in a year. One's going to take you through the Bible in three years if you want just smaller chunks to work through. It's a way that a structured plan that I would actually recommend, especially if you're new to this, that you start with, rather than just uh, using the often begun, almost never completed, I'm going to start in Genesis and just keep reading plan. That almost never works out. It takes a very unique person to read the Bible that way. A Bible reading plan, one of the best ways to help you actually make it through and, and be in a regular practice of taking in God's Word. For others, it's a time issue. You know, we're just kind of stuck on the idea, man, study of God's Word, that's like hours of time in the day that I don't, I don't have. Okay, how about this? How about blocking off 10 or 15 minutes of your day? Just 10 or 15 minutes, a third of what you're going to spend scrolling TikTok and Instagram for funny videos. 10 or 15 minutes a day where you can just make that your regular habit of time that I'm going to commit that time every day to reading. I'm going to take that Bible reading plan 10 or 15 minutes a day, make that my regular habit. Because listen, the point of this discipline is as much about consistency as it is about quantity. Okay? So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how much time you start out giving to this discipline, just that you start. Just start. And then keep to that allotted time consistently. 10 to 15 minutes a day, I know you can do it. Okay, so that's reading the word next, study and meditation on the word. Study and meditation. Okay, this is the part that you see David referring to specifically there in verse 2 of our passage. Look again talks about delighting ourselves in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, which I know that might sound like I'm contradicting, or David's contradicting what I just said about how much time we're supposed to give to this, because we're reading that, we're thinking, man, how am I going to get anything done in the day? If I'm meditating on God's law, studying it all day and night, I'm never going to be able to get my job done. I'm going to get fired. Um, to which I would respond, I think what David is getting at here with that description is less about the amount of time, and really more like an attitude like a posture where I'm seeking to bring what I've read in God's Word to bear on my life all throughout the day. What did I study this morning? What's a word? What's a phrase that stood out? I'm seeking to like apply it to my life all through the day. Maybe that word study is triggering to some of you, especially our students. I know you're just like, wow, okay, I'm already studying a lot. I don't like hearing that word. And, and maybe it's triggering because you're thinking of it in a strictly academic sense of the word. It just feels like, wow, I'm already studying so much. But what if we define that word study instead this way? Study being a close, careful attention to something so as to increase your enjoyment of it. Does that sound like more doable? Right? Because that's the thing. David says the key to rootedness and stability in our existence is to delight in God's word. I don't know almost anybody who delights in studying in that academic sense of the word. If anything, the only delight that comes is when we're done. We finish. We're like, okay, studying. Done. I've got delight. But if you think about studying instead in this way, like maybe like when you visit a museum and you pause to just ponder the paintings, you walk up real close to it, you look at the brush strokes or the sculpture and you see how the artist has masterfully put this thing together. You look at the colors, and you really just increase your enjoyment of this piece of art just by spending time looking, pondering over it, careful attention to it. Or, or when you meet someone special, and you just spend that time getting to know everything about them. I want to learn everything about you so I can love them even better. Okay, that absolutely, that kind of study absolutely brings about delight in all of us. Okay, this is much more 
the kind of sense of study that's implied in this discipline and meditation on God's Word. Careful, close attention to something so as to increase your enjoyment of it. Which means what? Okay, so how does that actually look? What does that look like? Well, rather than simply just reading the Bible to have read the Bible, I can check my little box on the reading chart and say, yes, I read today. We start asking questions of the Bible. We ask all the who, what, when, where, why questions of the text that we're looking at. And if you're new to the Bible and you have a lot of those questions, having a great study Bible can be a great tool to have with you as you're starting. It has the, the passage up here and then there's a bunch of like stuff underneath the page that talks about how each thing works and that's who this guy is and this is where this is happening. Great tool to like answer a lot of those questions. Okay? Get a great study Bible. We'd be glad to help you get in touch with that or get a hold of that. Uh, this is also where practices like Bible memory come in. So maybe there's a passage as you're doing your reading and that really stands out to you, really speaks to your own life and, and encourages you and strengthens you so you commit it to memory so that you can access that throughout the day whenever you need it without needing to have a Bible with you all the time. It comes with you. That's what David talks elsewhere about, like hiding God's Word in our heart. We can take it with us so we have it ready to use whenever we need it. It's also where you meditate on whatever it is that you've been reading throughout the day, which, like, get out of your mind that idea of, like, Buddhist meditation where we're trying to empty our mind of all thoughts and feelings. Christian meditation is all about filling up our minds, filling up our minds with the truth of God's Word as we're seeking to look and think and, and, and believe and behave more and more like Jesus. So maybe you're reading a passage that morning that's all about how God is the creator of all things. Meditating on his word might look like then throughout the rest of the day as you're driving through our beautiful city, driving by the beach, you're walking through the forest, you're studying a medical textbook for an exam, and you just start like, and God, you made all this. That's what I read this morning, and just praising him for his workmanship. So, I'm so blessed and incredibly, this is such a gift to us what you've made. That's, that's some of the ways we just meditate through the day on God's word. Okay, finally, application of the word. We're at the last stage already, which is simply where out of your consistent practice of reading and then study and meditation, you ask the question, okay, what is this passage teaching me? What is it calling me to do? Okay, which is just to say application is the intended result of the first two stages. It's where it has to lead to. What am I supposed to do with this? Okay, in his book on the spiritual disciplines out of which much of this series is formed. Donald Whitney says it this way, like chewing without swallowing, so study and meditation is incomplete without some kind of application. Or what Jesus' half-brother James says in his letter to the church, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Right? So we're not reading to just have read. We're studying it. And then out of that, we say, what is this calling me to do? What does this look like? So, for example, if my study of God's Word reveals something incredible about His character, God is gracious and forgiving, then I ask myself questions like, okay, if that's what God's like, and my goal is to look more and more like Him, who, who am I withholding forgiveness from? Who have I not been gracious to that I need to like, pursue that in order to be more like the one who saved me? Okay, or maybe if I'd be meditating on a passage that reveals the goodness of God, where it didn't seem like it was at first, it seemed like God was more hard or absent, like maybe the story of Joseph, well, then I can ask myself the question, okay, where in my life am I doubting the goodness of God because it doesn't seem like it right now? 
that story, as I meditate on it, it's going to help me realize that I need to trust you right now, even though it doesn't look good. Here's the point at the end of the day. Developing a consistent practice of reading the Word is essential because without that, you'll never have anything to study. Study and meditating on God's Word is essential because without that, you'll never see more and more of who God is. You'll never see what He's like. You'll have a, you won't have the clear picture that we need of the goal to which we're seeking, which is to look more and more like God. But application, application is where the real growth actually takes place. That's where this discipline brings about real growth in our lives. For just kind of using that different uh, machines in a gym metaphor that I used last week to talk about spiritual disciplines, when it comes to fitness in general, just having the right information about the machines, I know how to use them all, um, information about <clears throat> the gym itself, it doesn't make me physically healthy and fit, right? And if I have a big stack of uh, men's health magazines, all kinds of like information I can talk about, oh, you want to work on that exercise? You want to work on that body part? Here's what you need to do. I can tell you that. Uh, I, if I go to university and study nutrition so that I can tell you, hey, here's the best kind of nutrition plan if you want to like reach these goals for your fitness and all these kinds of things. But I never once stepped foot in a gym myself and I'm eating three, di- three meals a day at McDonald's. I- I'm never going to achieve fitness myself, or health myself, right? No matter how much I know about health. The very same thing is true when it comes to applying the reading and study of God's Word in this first discipline. Truth about God, truth about God's Word unapplied, it might get you a good grade on a paper. It might make you sound spiritually healthy. But at the end of the day, it can never bring about the true growth and health in your life. It can never accomplish that work of counterformation that we're all desperately in need of. Now, I need to apply these truths because as I apply the truths from God's Word to my life, then over time, sin's power is weakened. The old clothes that I used to wear begin to become less and less attractive and comfortable for me. And I am over time formed more and more into the image of Jesus. I accomplished the goal for which this discipline is all about, how it's trying to help us. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The Lord knows deeply and intimately the way of the righteous. The way of the wicked leads to destruction. As it relates to that beautiful, fruitful, uh, deeply rooted picture of health of the one who walks in the way of the righteous there in verse 3. Look with me one last time. Kidner makes this powerful observation, and I'll close with this. He writes, The phrase, it's fruit in season, emphasizes both the distinctiveness and the quiet growth of the product. For the tree is no mere channel, piping the water unchanged from one place to another, right? It's not a sprinkler but a living organism which absorbs it to produce in due course something new and delightful, proper to its kind and its time. 
It's the point of taking in God's word. It's the point of this life-giving stream to produce fruitfulness and to produce character and thinking and life that looks more and more like Jesus, which I think relates perfectly to this first spiritual discipline that we've been looking at and learning about today, which I pray, having learned from this that we're going to begin today, either begin practicing this week or continue to grow in your practice of it this week, because along with life-giving water that produces fruitfulness and prosperousness, as David says here in Psalm 1, God's Word is described in many other way, places, many other sustaining, life-giving ways as well. It's described as, as, as bread that feeds us. Think about Jesus when he's tempted in the wilderness and he's quoting uh, Deuteronomy 8 to Satan when he's tempting him to turn stones into loaves of bread. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's described as a light for our feet and a lamp for our path, Psalm 119. In the darkness of this world, when we can't see where our, we're going, where our next step should be, God's word provides the life-giving step so we don't fall off, so we don't fall into destruction. It's, it's described as a sword with which we can defeat every one of the enemies of our formation that we looked at last week both without and within, that Paul describes in places like Ephesians 6. David describes Psalm 63. It's described as a sure and steady hope. No matter what we face in life, as Peter describes the word in 2 Peter 1.19, all of these and so many more are the kind of resources, life-giving and life-sustaining resources available to all of us here in God's word. Which is why it's not only important that we study, it's essential to our life. It's essential to our formation in Jesus because, again, as I said last week, spiritual formation is not an optional AP program for those who are interested in going a little bit deeper. Spiritual formation is something that's happening every single day of your life. The point is, to what or to whom are you being formed? So if this is brand new to you, if you've never heard of this, or maybe more likely in a gathering like this, this is a discipline you just know. I haven't done this. I've largely neglected this discipline in my own life. Where could you begin today? Where could you just, as I said, just start today in this practice of reading, study and meditation and application of God's Word? We've tried to make resources available to you in order to help that. Maybe it feels overwhelming to start, but as I said, these disciplines are also meant to be worked out and lived out in the context of community, where we encourage and, and, and cheer one another on as we do this. So maybe you start doing this with someone. Start it with a friend. Be like, hey, could we do this each day on a Zoom call or meet up wherever? Maybe you do this with your spouse or roommates or whatever it is. It's also, as I said last week, it's, it's something that we do with the support and the empowering of God's Holy Spirit himself who gladly walks along with you as you do this because your spiritual formation to Jesus is more important to him even than it is to you. He's going to help you to do what he wants you to accomplish in your life. But as I also said in the end, this requires your, willing, your willingness and your decision to do it. I can't do it for you. I can't make you do it. It's going to require your intentional decision as well as action if it's ever going to bring about that stable rootedness in your life that David describes here, right? It doesn't just happen. It requires our grace-driven effort. 
So I want us to go to prayer now. What we do each week at the end of this passage, or studying God's Word, we're going to take some time to just sit quietly and just listen for the Spirit's voice to speak to us and to apply what we've just learned from His Word to our lives. Speak to us about and, and encourage us in where He wants to grow us, maybe particularly as it relates to this discipline, to either beginning or growing in it. So let's seek Him together. Let's take some time to do that quietly, and then in a minute, we'll come and take the Lord's Supper together. Let's go to prayer.